Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. All our guests on Startup Dads are special, but it's rare we have a heavy hitter like Saul Klein on the show. Saul is a big deal for a lot of reasons. He co-founded Love Film and Seed Camp. He was part of the team that grew Skype's revenue a hundredfold in around a year. And he set up Local Globe with his dad, Robin, who's a big name himself. And he did all this while raising three kids with his wife. There's lots to take away from this episode, including the most effective way to build empathy, the importance of presence, and long-term thinking and the metrics that really matter. All right, let's get into it. As always, it's great to hear from you all. So do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santharasenan and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. Well, Saul, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super excited to talk to you. If I'm honest, you've probably been my easiest startup interview to ever prep for because there are so many startup dad themes running through your life that I don't know where to start. You know, before we jump in, can you talk to me a little bit about the time in your life when you actually became a startup dad? Because you've done, you know, you started at Skype through to Index and now obviously with Local Globe. I'm super keen to learn a little bit about when did you become a startup dad? What were you doing when your kids first came along into your life? Well, I was actually, we've got three kids, 14, 13 and, and seven. And when our eldest was born, was actually just towards the end of my time at Skype and the beginning of my time at Index. So that, it was actually, you know, a real point of transition for me from kind of going from that sort of world of entrepreneurship and angel investing and uh, being an operator to going to index and initially as a venture partner and then kind of getting sucked into the, the world of investing full time. But you know, my, my son was born in October 2006. And yeah, that was just about the time I was kind of leaving Skype and uh, you know, starting to spend time at index. That's really helpful. And I suppose lets me push on the next question is, was your decision to transition away from operating connected in any way to having a family? You know, people talk about how intense it is to be an operator. But the flip side is, I don't think being a a partner at a venture firm is a bed of roses in terms of how easy it is either. Did the way your actually life worked in the space and time you had for family, was there a material change in that? I suppose having your first child drives the change, doesn't it, a bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely, you know, the, the timing, I don't know whether it was by accident, by design. Serendipity. But yeah, I mean, how old would I have been? I was like 36 at the time. And I'd really spent the previous 15 years to a greater or lesser extent absorbed by my work. I'd been in the States from 95 to 2002 at startups, uh, one of which was acquired by Microsoft, spent time at Microsoft, and firstly getting married, but then having kids, you know, definitely changes your mindset and your priorities. And you know, when I was when when I got married in two thousand and two, you know, I was 
starting Love Film. And, you know, that was definitely full on being a founder and, and a CEO, um, you know, building a company, raising money, hiring a team, et cetera, et cetera. And then pretty much from there, I went straight to Skype, which was, you know, kind of like describe it as sort of sprinting up a mountain. It was like we went from 30 people when I joined to about 500 12 months later and from two or three, zero, two or three million in revenue to like 200 million in revenue in, oh, in wow. also 12, 18 months. And I mean, those are, are big numbers now, but in those days it was just insane. I mean, you know, you'd barely seen that, and I'd worked in the US, seen that kind of growth outside of, outside of the valley. So there's no question being an investor you know, it was a, a change of pace. And I think, you know, the thing always known as an investor is that, you know, it's not your business. Mm. You know, obviously you are making investments mm. at the fund level on behalf of your LPs. So you, you have to be a good steward of, of their capital, but it's not like being an angel investor where it's your own money. And it's not like being a founder or an entrepreneur where, you know, everything is on the line. So it's a very, very different mentality. As you said, it's still incredibly demanding and time consuming. Mm. But, you know, you can or you should always remember, I think, as an investor that you're there to kind of, you know, back the founder, Mm. not to run the business. And, um, you know, that I think does give you... Uh, a sense of of being one step removed and maybe that does give you Mm. potentially more time for your core relationships your family and um you know obviously you'll you know if you have them your kids for sure for sure one question i was really wanting to ask you've set me up beautifully for is having been a founder when you cross over to the other side of the table one of the things i often think about is I imagine it actually must be quite hard to be an investor who's been a founder before because of the nature of you understand what it's like, right, to have been a founder. And to be a good investor, as you say, it's not your business. You're backing the founder. Sometimes that empathy can probably make it harder to make the more dispassionate choices. Did you? Is that something you struggle with? Or Yeah, look, I think that's a really good insight. And, you know, there's this perennial debate it's been going on for decades about who makes a better investor, you know, a founder slash entrepreneur mm. or a former operator or, you know, someone who's just an investor. And, you know, I've worked with great investors who have no background as, as operators or as entrepreneurs. You know, Danny Reimer, my partner from Index, springs to mind. Don't know him well, but, you know, Mike Moritz mm. was a journalist Bill Gurley, like Danny, was a, an analyst at an investment bank. You know, so these are great, great investors who have no entrepreneurial or operating background. But then, you know, you obviously have great investors who who do have that background. So I do think, you know, that empathy is important, mm. but, you know, you can build empathy in different ways. You can build empathy because you know, you've been through the same experience as someone else. You can build empathy because you're, you have high EQ, you're empathetic, and you have a lot of experiences that 
allow you to say, okay, well, mm-hmm. I haven't done this myself, but I've seen this 10, 20, 50 times, and here's what I've observed from my experience. So I think there's a combination of the two, but I have to say I did find it, and I think this is true of a number of people who become investors who've been entrepreneurs and operators, is you have to kind of unlearn some of your instincts, mm. which is like, oh, I know how I did that, or I know how I'd think about doing that. Or, yeah. And the reality is, like, first of all, every business is different. And secondly, the half-life of some of your skills and insights are actually way shorter than you think. If I think about when I started Love Film, for example, you know, the tools that you would use to start a business couldn't be more different from the tools that you would use today. And actually, one of the things I like to do, in a sense, to remain empathetic, other Mm. than I feel that actually, if you're building an investment firm, you are actually, you're building a business, you know, you're building a team, you know, it's an operating business, you know, except your focus is on making investments rather than making a search engine or selling, you know, secondhand vintage clothes um, or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I still feel building a firm is is entrepreneurial. But, you know, the other thing that I've tried to do is, you know, ever since we started Local Globe is help to build a business. And, you know, some of the businesses actually, even when I joined Index, the first thing that I did was to pitch the partnership on what became SeedCamp. And then I co-founded SeedCamp with, you know, with Rashma. And then a few years later, I co-founded Cano with Alex and Yonatan. And then, you know, when we launched Local Globe, I co-founded a company called Platoon, where we sold to Apple. And then um, you know, I co-founded Zinc, which is now you know, embarking on its fourth mission today. Oh, and, cool. you know, I've tried to sort of stay involved in, in kind of actually being at the inception stage of companies because I do feel like, you know, things are just changing the whole time and it's really important to sort of understand how businesses get off the ground because I think otherwise it's very easy to kind of lose touch. That's a super cool insight and really fascinating to hear. It's a the hard way to, to some extent, I expect you feel from time to time of, you know, building a business at the same time as running an investment firm. But like you say, it's the, the, the way that you can really keep your ear to the ground on how to do it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, as I said, whether you are coming to being an investor from an operating and entrepreneurial background or a financial background or journalist or whatever, you know, one of the core skills, you know, we feel is critical is Mm -hmm. is to develop or to nurture is is empathy. And I think, you know, um, there are many ways in, in which one can do that. But, you know, it's very important to continue to kind of understand what it's like to start something from scratch and it's very important it's another reason why everyone on our investment team also has operating projects within our business is because i think again you can kind of dis get disconnected from like you know actually doing things and making things and you can just focus on investing and i think it's very hard to empathize with the people you're investing in, you know, if you are disconnected from. Yeah. 
for sure. And that's an absolute truism. I think as you know, as a founder, when I feel like our investors feel like they understand the problems, it just makes a massive difference. Great stuff. Well, so I'm, I'm super keen to ask you, probably the big question is about what it's been like, because clearly you have a startup dad, you are a startup dad. What was that like growing up? We'll talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial gene and things like that. But I would love to hear kind of how potentially having a startup dad influenced your worldview, the kind of perspective on entrepreneurialism that, you know, your dad may have had and how that kind of influenced you. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, fundamentally, and, you know, still continues to. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm 51 now. You know, I, I've known you know, my, my partner for 51 years. Uh, he's known me for 51 years. And, you know, while we've worked together in various forms, I guess, informally and now formally, obviously, since 2015, and then actually he came into Index in 2010. But, you know, even in the 15 years or so before that, we were either working together informally or kind of semi-formally with angel investing together. But, you know, growing up, I obviously, I grew up in a household where, you know, I think my dad started his first business when he was 23. I was born the same year, I guess. Um, So going back to your question about timing, I didn't quite do that. You know, I, I grew up in a house where, you know, I guess I was aware of, and he was very open about what he was doing, what he was working on. You know, he, he had these um, early computers, like they were called laptops or portables, but I mean, they were like basically the size of a sewing machine. And, you know, I'd sit next to him while he was working on VisiCalc, VisiCalc. you know, which is like the spreadsheet yeah. on a kind of a Windows first generation windows machine or, or not even and you know it's say like what what's this mean what's she doing you know he'd explain it to me you know so you know I, I kind of grew up around that my mum's dad was also very entrepreneurial so you know there was like no sense in my family that you know that was an odd thing to pursue which you know I recognize I'm very, very lucky uh, to, to grow up in that environment because, you know, when I said I wanted to join a startup when I was 23 or when I said I wanted to do a startup, you know, no one thought it was an odd thing to do. Hmm. But I think the other thing which was, you know, really influential and obviously helpful is that, you know, I also grew up in, in a home where, you know, most mornings my dad would take me and my sister to school. Most evenings he'd be there for dinner. And, you know, even though he was an entrepreneur, he made it very clear to us that his first priority was, you know, his family and his kids. Um, and I think, you know, that's, you can't ask for a better role model. That's amazing. And, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting to ask experienced founders and investors is how things have changed, because I think your dad would have been incredibly progressive X years ago doing that, because I talked to some serial founders who, you know, 20 years ago, them not seeing their kids was just part of the course. It was just what lots of working dads did. And that while now, mercifully, their perspectives have changed. 
it's really cool to hear that, you know, back then your dad was building a business. Yeah, I mean, you say that, you say that things have changed, but I don't know if they've changed that much. And I think it's not just for working dads, but for working moms as well. You know, there's still mm. an enormous amount of pressure in most workplaces for people to to be present, mm. you know, whether it's in person or now even more so digitally. And, you know, one of the things that we do in our business is, you know, we really push ourselves and people hard to mm. to be present when they're present, but when they're when they're not at work to actually like not be at work. Yeah. And my wife has been very influential to me from this perspective is that, you know, when we been married for been 19 years in, in December, you know, when we started dating we're both Jewish and she she observed Shabbat, which is on Friday nights when the sun goes down to on Saturday evening when the sun goes down, you know, you don't do any work. Mm. And that's not like you don't go to work, you like you don't do email, you don't drive, you don't use the phone. And you know, well, I'm not always as strict on certain things like driving. But certainly having a holiday is the way I would see it, like every week, mm. one day a week where, you know, I'm not reading my email, I'm not answering the phone and no one expects me to do that, you know, has been incredibly helpful to me, I think. And again, that's something that we try and encourage, you know, for the rest of the team, not, you know, from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m., and on weekends, you know, we say to people, don't go in on any of the team WhatsApps. Mm. If you want to chat with people one-on-one, -on -one, fine. But, you know, let's create an environment where people feel like they have their time and their time for them and the people who are closest to them or the things that are most important to them yeah. that aren't their jobs. I mean, that's an amazing set of values to instill. I'm interested to see how do you see that kind of intersect with startups nowadays because you know so much is talked about hustle and the need to ring every single inch ring every single kind of bit of value out of the time you have how do you kind of see that when you work with your portfolio as i said we believe fundamentally that you know we're investing in founders we're backing founders we're not obviously venture is different from private equity in that we don't own the businesses, we don't control the businesses. So, you know, the best that we can do is try, help, support, influence, yeah. or lead by example. So we know, yeah. not think, that if you're going to build a great sustainable business, it happens probably over a decade, not over a few months. And so if you're going to preserve a certain level of, of intensity, you have to be able to preserve that for, yeah. you know, years, a decade or more, not for like a short sprint. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just common sense to know that, you know, you have to pace yourself. Yeah. And, you know, that means, you know, looking after your well-being. It means making sure that you're looking after your team's well-being. It means, you know, paying attention to your kind of vanity metrics, but your kind of profound metrics. So we are 
firmly on the side of the counter narrative and, you know, think ultimately that's how great businesses get built. And I think one only needs to see the damage that some of the businesses that people hold up as exemplars of of hustle yeah. have, have caused Good point. To, to say, you know, is that really the best way to build a business? I mean, it's not to say that those businesses, you know, didn't make their founders and their investors, their early investors, a lot of money, but I'm pretty sure that that's not the only way to measure success. No. Well, it shouldn't be. And, you know, we just don't think that's being on the right side of history, basically. It's a really great framing. And your your phrase about the kind of vanity metrics versus the more profound metrics is something that's an incredibly valuable insight for our listeners. I think, you know, speaking very honestly to you, you know, the HX, the business I founded, co-founded, was not venture-backed. It was actually our investors who've been really focusing on getting me to slow down and think over the longer time horizon and for optimized for success over a much longer time horizon than you tend to do when you're kind of by yourself bootstrapping a business. That's great. I mean, that means they're, they're good investors. Yeah. As you say, they've got the same perspective as you with respect to the long-term view. And like you say, uh, what do they say? Overnight successes take 10 years. So you're, you're absolutely right. Amazing stuff. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, picking up on your point about the influence that your dad, working with your dad and your family had on you, is I suppose when you think about your own children, do you have kind of perspectives on them as entrepreneurs? Look, I, I think if that's what they would want to do, great. And we'd encourage and support them to do that. But if they want to do something else, that's, that's fine as well. I think find what motivates them, what works for them and you know, I mean, the most, you know, fulfilling thing is to feel like, you know, you're not, you're not working, you're enjoying yourself and you're doing something you, you care about and you're passionate about. So mm. I mean, the other day, a seven-year-old came in to the office and I, think I was on a call and he said to me, Dad, you know, you really don't do any work, do you? <laughs> He's like, you just, you just walk around and, you know, you talk to people. And, you know, it's funny, like, what his perception of, of work is. But I think, you know, you, you want to find yourself doing something that, you know, really you enjoy and motivates you and you, you get a little out of and whatever that is, that, that doesn't really matter. People love gardening. You know, you can be a gardener and do that for 20, 30 years and, you know, it can be the best thing in the world. So they're all they're all young and figure out what they want to do, and you know hopefully we can support them and encourage them to do that. Um, but the the idea of being an entrepreneur or being a creator or however you want to frame it these days, or being sort of autonomous in terms of how you earn a living, is is something that more and more people are doing and will be doing in the future. And I think, you know, Web3 is only going to accelerate that uh, that trend. You know, it's really interesting. So when I ask this question, I actually get an incredibly diverse set of responses because there are some entrepreneurs that I think feel like it's the only thing that they would ever want their kids to do. But your framing of the fact that 
what's most important is what you love. And if it doesn't feel like work, it's a fantastic heuristic for a very happy life. Brilliant. Well, look, I'm super interested to know what the biggest lesson that you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like like we were just discussing, I think doing things that you love, doing things that you enjoy, working on projects that you feel have have real values that you know ultimately can contribute to to, to people. Um, you know, those are the things I think that drive most entrepreneurs quite frankly and 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 most people you know people want to feel like the work that they're doing is not just about making a living and obviously it is about making a living but it can be and it should be about more than that and uh, you know I absolutely believe that that's possible if you push yourself to to find what that thing is and I think one of the mistakes a lot of people make and you know, again, I was very lucky to have the perspective of my parents and also, you know, the remember early on the advice of my dad is that, you know, when you leave university or if you leave school, you think like what what you're gonna do first is what you're gonna do forever. Mm. And it really isn't, and it doesn't have to be. And you know, as long as you keep learning and keep exploring and keep being open to learning, you know, you can just keep going and do all sorts of things. And for me, that's always been the key metric is like, am I learning something? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people said to me when I joined Skype, you know, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? You're the founder and the CEO of, of, of this company, Love Film. Why are you going to work for someone else and kind of, you know, be the VP marketing? I'm like, well, because, you know, I'm going to learn all of these new things and you know this is an amazing opportunity so you know that's always been a key motivator for me and it's definitely served me well I think. it's a great life principle my daughter's nearly two now which is terrifying but one of the things that's really amazing to watch is to watch the process of her learning and you know i think it's an amazing thing as a kid and you know the, the kind of startup cliche of fail fast and learn is one that I think is an incredibly valuable life lesson. I think we, we start to become much more scared of failing as we go, get older, but it's an incredibly powerful thing. But in a sense, I, I find even the, the idea of failure is, is, is kind of like an odd framing mm. because, you know, if you think about learning, you don't think about failing. No, that's very true. You know, and, and as you said, like, you know, one of the most incredible things about being a parent is seeing the world through the eyes of, of kids. Yes. Well, being a teacher, quite frankly, is one mm. of the amazing things about being a teacher is, you know, kids just have incredibly fresh and amazing insights. And it's amazing to, to be able to do that. But it's also one of the reasons why it's so important to be able to make the time to do that. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day who is the co-founder of a, of a business that we got, we, we helped to start in the last three years. And she was saying to me that, um, you know, when she thought about what the value of flexibility in terms of work and her ability to like pick her kids up from school or spend time with them, what it was worth to her in monetary terms. And it's like, you know, in a sense, you don't want to put a price on it, but, you know, it's like it's worth 50 to 100K. Mm. And, you know, it's like she would be prepared to sort of sacrifice 
those economics for, you know, the time to be with her kids. And I think, you know, I'd speak to more and more parents who are recognizing, you know, that while your kids are at an age where they're still potentially willing to talk to you, <laughs> you know, you want to spend as much time yeah. with them as possible. Yeah. It's really true. It, you know, I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, you know, particularly for, again, the stereotypical temperament of a founder is someone who's often trying to make the most out of every time second they have. I think there's nothing more powerful than having children to give you a sense of how precious time is. Certain things can afford to wait, as you said, you know, have some perspective about what can wait and what can't wait. You can very quickly see as a founder what you'd be willing to give up to have more time with your kids because how precious it is. Brilliant. Well, so look, that's been uh, absolutely fantastic. There's a, a lot of insights for our listeners out of this show. Uh, before we go, we like to close up the uh, show with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts, where we start shine a light uh, on a company or people in the startup ecosystem that we admire. So who's your Startup Shoutout today, Saul? Startup Shoutouts. Well, as we discussed, it's very hard to, <laughs> to, to pick one, yes. but I'm going to go for Zinc, which is top of mind for me because they are just cohort four. Mission four is just kicking off this week. There's 67 new founders who've joined Zinc, and they're all looking to build businesses that address the kind of their the challenge around improving children and young people's mental and emotional health and, and well-being. And, yeah, so I just want to wish all of them good luck. And um, it's, a, it's a big mission. And, you know, I think COVID has shown us just how important it is to sort of mm. support uh, kids' uh, mental and emotional well-being. And... Um, you know, I'm really excited to see what those 67 founders come up with. So Zinc is the one. That's brilliant. And as you say, never more timely, actually, to think about the impact of, yeah, not just technology, but the changing world around us on the mental health of children in their formative years of their life. So an absolutely fantastic mission. Well, look, Saul, that's been an absolute cracker of an episode. Thanks again for coming on the show and sharing your insights. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. It's a great, great concept and, um, you know, really been great to be on the show. So thank you. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod. 